to start us off, let's start with uh, we're, today we're talking about failure. All right, we're going to close our perspective series by talking about failure, something I'm sure none of you are familiar with. Okay, and to start us off, we're going to start with this question. Uh, when was a time failure has worked to your advantage or benefit? Okay, when was a time that failure has worked to your advantage or benefit? And talk about this with someone you didn't come with. Okay, so yeah, and we'll we'll give like like three or four minutes. Okay. All right. Let's uh, come back together. We can. Does anyone mind sharing uh, what they shared? Huh? Anybody? I mean, it's pretty personal, so I'm going to share a very personal one. So uh, I don't know if anyone's will be worse than mine. Sure. Caleb, OK, yeah. Store, and so I was tasked with a project that was working on a field system that runs our entire store, tracks our inventory, tracks sales, tracks receipt history, all those sorts of things. Uh -huh. And I decided to try something new and work on a project on one of our biggest And broke And you broke it? <laughs> all right. So uh, for um, for people online who weren't able to hear, uh, Caleb, you work at a retail store, and you were trying something new with one of the one of the sales system and ended up breaking it. Okay, so how did that work to your advantage? It worked to my advantage in the long run. Um, fortunately, I was not let go, or they were not super severe Uh huh. You were shown some grace. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 It was a good learning experience. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Caleb. Um, I'm gonna pass the. I think you know you had your hand up, right? You want to share? Do you mind speaking into the mic? Okay. It's it's for the people online. Oh. Okay. Hi. It's not, I just speak into it. Okay. So hi, I was recently, um, I'm here from Korea and I came in December. And the reason I came was because I wanted to buy a little cafe and make it um, into my own business so that I can get a business visa to live here. And um, the process was taking a while. The seller was acting weird from the beginning, but I still wanted to work with him. So um, currently I'm still in escrow. Um, but we both came to the decision to cancel the deal. And so I came here with my 67-year-old mother and my five-year-old daughter. We had no place to stay, so we were lodging at a friend's house for a month and um, just had a really hard time. Um, we got COVID. Um, I was coughing for three months or three weeks. And um, everything was really, really just hard. But we were still hoping to take over the store and you know, have a new life here. But um, so for me, that that deal was a failure. But right now, I'm confident that I learned the whole process of taking over a business. And so um, the next time I try, 
I'll know what to look for. Um, I'll know what to avoid and what to expect. And then, um, and also I think it was advantage and benefit for me because I avoided a very shady and, and sketchy store. If I bought that store, I would have very like much failed. <laughs> so I think that was better for me in the end. The advantage is you avoided a bad situation. Yeah. Most likely. Do you have one? Okay. Hi, online people. What should I say? Oh, I had a tennis tournament and then um, I only won three sets. Oh, hi, people. And then, um, yeah. Did you learn the oh, yeah, that I need to work on my serve. <laughs> and that I'm pretty bad at it. All right, anyone? One more. Let's do one more. Riley, you want to share? Or is it someone online? Okay. Uh, Melody online says, when I did my art project wrong and figured out what not to do. Yeah, that's good. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody, for sharing. So my example um, is pretty embarrassing. Uh, it's a literal uh, fail that I got at school. Now, growing up in like, you know, at, in high school, college, I wasn't like the best student, but you know, I wasn't terrible either. I, ne I definitely never got Fs <laughs> on any of my report cards. Um, but it wasn't until I went to seminary <laughs> that I got my first fail, okay? Um, I was doing pretty well you know, in seminary. And seminary is graduate school for people who wanna go into ministry, who wanna become pastors or clergy. And uh, that was the first time I was actually taking my studies very seriously because I saw the benefit of it. I actually enjoyed studying theology, biblical studies, church history, like all of that stuff. And there was this one class that I was taking. Uh, it was an Old Testament class on the minor prophets. Okay, the minor prophets are the last 12 books of the Old Testament. Okay, books like Jonah, Micah, Malachi, Obadiah, right? And it was during this season of my life that, um, my personal life, um, where everything was kind of crazy and hectic. I was like juggling a couple jobs and um, Becky and I were just dating at the time and I was preparing to like propose to her and like uh, things with my parents were really, really rocky. And, um, but I did all the work, okay? But I did all the work that was required for this Minor Prophets Biblical Studies class. Uh, but I, couldn't go to all of the lectures, right? And because I missed a certain amount of lectures, the teacher just automatically gave me an F for the class. And I was so pissed, right? And this is a required class. So I was like so upset. And, um, but truth be told, I did not take that class very seriously. I thought it was um, kind of easy. And I didn't let the material really like absorb, right? Into my head. So um, a couple quarters later, I had to take that class again. And in my heart, I was like really bitter and angry and remembering how I got this F and like, I really, really didn't want to take this class again, but I had to. And so I, I took this class with a different teacher and 
uh, a couple weeks in, like the first couple weeks, I was like still really angry and bitter. I was like, oh, I already went over this stuff. Um, but a couple weeks in, I tried to change my perspective on it. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be here, I have to be here. I'm going to try to make the most of it. And so I did. And then the next nine weeks of that class, I tried to make the most of it. And I ended up loving the minor profit books like so much. And uh, now the, the, those 12 books in the Old Testament are like some of my favorite books in the Bible um, because I changed my perspective on it. And I realized like that because of my failure, um, and, and not just because of my failure, but my attitude towards failure, it allowed me to um, actually make the most of that situation, make the most of that bad situation. And oftentimes when people encounter, like everyone's gonna encounter failure, right? Everyone's gonna encounter failure, but it's up to us whether we want that to make us bitter or better, right? It's really up to us whether we want that failure experience to make us bitter or better. And that brings us to our central truth for today's message. Failure is a necessary part of spiritual growth. Failure is a necessary part of spiritual growth. Um, for me, growing up as a Korean American uh, with um, parents who had like very high expectations and very little tolerance for <laughs> failure, uh, I always thought of like failure as a bad thing, right? That success is good and failure is bad. But in actuality, there are two sides of the same coin. You cannot experience uh, success. You cannot experience spiritual growth without experiencing a series of failures in your life uh, to help you grow, to help you learn, to help you learn, like help you know what not to do, <laughs> right? So, um, Failure, I, I always thought of failure as not being a, a viable option, but it's something that we all experience. And not only that, it's actually good for our success and spiritual growth. And if there's anybody in the Bible who is familiar with failure, it is the very famous disciple, uh, Peter, okay? Uh -huh. Disciple Peter. So uh, today we're going to look at John chapter 21. Verses 15 through 25. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you could turn with me to um, the last chapter of John, or uh, you could look on the screen with me and follow along. John 21, 15 through 25. But for the, that's too small for online people, huh? <laughs> Can you type it all in, Riley? Can you? <laughs> Or I'm just going to read it for us too. So John 21 verses 15 through 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that this, his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole, wide, the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at the example of Peter and how he's messed up and how he's failed and made mistakes so many times, help us to take a look at our own lives, at our own past, and to learn from our failures, and also to show ourselves the same kind of grace that you show us. Oftentimes, we are our most harshest critic, and we are the ones who cannot get past some of the failures and mistakes that we've made. But Lord, you look upon us with love and with gentleness and with grace, and we know that every experience be it good or bad, be it successful or a failure. Um, Maybe opportunities for us to grow. We're proud of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So we are, as I shared, uh, we are concluding our perspective series today, where uh, we are looking at different themes uh, through a perspective process of deconstructing and reconstructing, of taking apart, putting back together, and looking at it with a different perspective. Now, today we are picking up, uh, in today's passage, we are picking up immediately after an encounter that Jesus had with his disciples after he had resurrected. Not a lot of people uh, pay attention to this or know this, but Jesus actually stuck around for many days after he resurrected, okay? Um, studies tell us that uh, he stayed around for like 40 days after his resurrection, hung out with his followers, with his disciples, and there were actually like hundreds of people who uh, spent time with him and witnessed his resurrected body. And in one of these occasions, Jesus came to the disciples while they were fishing. And after they caught a miraculous catch of fish uh, that Jesus had uh, directed them, he, he had breakfast with them. <laughs> the resurrected Jesus was actually eating with the disciples, okay, which is kind of a weird experience, I bet, for 
the disciples. So uh, there, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples uh, after his resurrection, and specifically um, this conversation, this dialogue with the disciple Peter. And Jesus asks him uh, the same question, but three ways, okay, three times, okay? He says, Simon, son of uh, John, do you truly love me more than these? And Jesus says, and Peter says, yes. And he responds in three different ways. Okay, how does he respond in these three different ways? The first uh, way that he responds, he says, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asks him that question again. Do you love me? Simon, son of John, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? And then uh, Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then he asks him a third time, do you love me? And by this time, Peter was hurt. Okay, and we'll get to that, the reason why. And uh, Peter says, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now, it sounds like it's the same response, but it's not, okay? Um, the first answer Jesus says is feed my lambs. Now, what's the difference between lamb and sheep? Does anyone know? Yes, lambs are baby sheep, right? So theologians uh, theorize that Jesus is talking about taking care of children, okay? Like take care of children, feed children, like children are, are some of the most vulnerable people in our society, so take care of them. And then uh, the second one is take care of my sheep, which is to uh, literally like be caretakers of those in need, adults in need. Okay, oftentimes people, you can think of this as like those who are sick, those who are in need. And then the last one is feed my sheep. And theologians often theorize this as like teaching. Okay, teaching the word, teaching uh, about Jesus, teaching about God, the ways of God, the kingdom of God to everyone, all right? And so Jesus responds in these three ways. Now, the reason why Peter was hurt when Jesus asked this question three times is because uh, it was reminding him of the time when Peter denied being Jesus's disciple. There was a time when Jesus was carrying the cross up the hill to Calvary where he was to be crucified, and some people recognize Peter in the crowd and they asked him or they said you're one of Jesus's followers and he denied it and then someone and they, they asked him that three they confronted him three times and Peter den uh, denied him three times and so this was uh, reminding Peter of that time that he denied Jesus three times and when I first read this I thought that, oh man, Jesus is being so harsh. <laughs> he's like pouring salt on the wound, okay? He's being so harsh. But now, uh, now I see it as Jesus affirming Peter's identity in him. Okay, he's not trying to make him feel guilty, okay? He is reaffirming Peter's identity in Jesus, okay? Reminding him, do you love me? Do you love me? And after this experience, Peter knows exactly who he is, okay? Peter knows exactly who he is in Christ. Now, looking back at that situation where Peter um, denied Jesus three times, uh, certainly Jesus didn't want that to happen, 
But Jesus allowed this denial, this failure to happen, because failures are not anything that we need to be ashamed of. Failures are a significant part of our journey of faith, and it's the best way that we can learn and grow in our faith. Failure actually paves the way for us to become more like the man or woman of God we're created to be. Failures are necessary towards Christ-likeness for several reasons. And the first reason is this. Failure is necessary for humility. Failure is necessary for humility. Failures, the experiencing failures in our lives are, are never wasted experiences, okay? Failures are stepping stones uh, for us to experience growth and to learn about ourselves and to learn to know what's working and what's not working. Failures are only a waste of time if we treat it as a waste of time, okay? If you experience a failure in your life, if you make a mistake, and you think to yourself, oh, that was such a waste of time. You already have this defeated mentality that like, you're not going to learn anything from this. So failures are only a waste of time if you treat it as a waste of time. Every experience is a learning experience. In the email, the weekly email that I sent yesterday, I shared uh, a summary of the life of Bill Wilson. Okay, Bill Wilson is the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he had a pretty difficult life. Um, he was born in Vermont, and he was pretty much, he and his sister were, he and his older sister were abandoned by his parents pretty much right after he was born, and he was raised by his grandparents. Um, he was in and out of trouble as a teenager. Uh, he started drinking as a teenager. Uh, but despite his troubles, he was still able to go to college. He went to Norwich University, and he almost got expelled uh, several times because uh, of his excessive drinking and partying and uh, a hazing incident gone wrong. I'm not exactly sure what that is. Um, but it was here where he met his college sweetheart. Her name is Lois. And, um, uh, and, and they, they started dating after college. He went to the military. He served for several years. Uh, he served in one of the wars. I think it was World War II. And, or was it World War I? I think it was World War I. Yeah, because this was like at the beginning of the 20th century. And uh, after coming back from the war, uh, he went to law school. He finished law school, but he was too drunk to attend his own graduation. <laughs> so he never got to graduate. Um, uh, still, he was still dating Lois at the time, and he married Lois. He started his own business. The business did okay, um, but he would still, he couldn't stop drinking, and he would show up to work drunk all the time, and eventually it tarnished his uh, professional reputation, and he lost his business. Uh, he was on the verge of losing everything. He was on the verge of losing his wife and kids. And he had to do something about it. He was institutionalized in a hospital in New York multiple times. And it was in his fourth stay that he met uh, one of the, uh, uh, someone who would become his close friend. His name was Ebby. And Ebby was a devout Christian. And he, like Bill, had a severe drinking problem. 
And it was through his faith and through this very committed small group of men that he was able to overcome his drinking. And Bill uh, joined this small group uh, where they kept each other accountable and provided support for one another. And they started other small groups like this focused on people who had drinking problems. Uh, became like co-ed, men and women would join. And this would evolve to what is Alcoholics Anonymous today. And this is what he says. In God's economy, nothing is wasted. Through failure, we learn a lesson in humility, which is probably needed, though painful it is. People like Bill, uh, people like uh, Apostle Peter, they were very arrogant. And if it wasn't for their series of failures, they would probably remain very arrogant. And in order for us to experience spiritual growth, we have to be humble. It's impossible to grow spiritually without humility. And so this is one of the key reasons why God allows us to experience humility in our lives. Um, Here's another quote from one of my favorite authors, uh, Dallas Willard. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Effort is about action. Earning is about attitude. Now, failure is necessary for humility, but it is also necessary for us to um, learn things about ourselves. Okay, so this is the other thing that a failure teaches us. Failures are necessary for self-awareness. Failures are necessary for self-awareness. When Jesus, when Jesus had this encounter with Peter, and he was having this dialogue with him, Peter was realizing that he is not as um, devoted and committed to Jesus as he thought. He realized he's made some mistakes, right? And that allowed him to experience some humility, but it also uh, allowed him to learn about himself and learn that like he's not all that, <laughs> right? That he does make mistakes. The great philosopher Socrates, um, his most famous idiom is this, know thyself, know thyself. To know thyself is the greatest form of knowledge. What a shame if astronomers can know all the mysteries of the stars, but are completely ignorant of themselves. How disappointing would it be if a medical doctor can know everything about the human anatomy, but is completely oblivious to his own self? And what a waste if philosophers can answer the most pr profound questions about life, but cannot answer the question, who am I? Know thyself. As we learned last week, the path of spiritual journey is not uh, up and to the right, right? It's more like a spiral, okay? It's a journey of learning, loving God and knowing God, but it's also a journey of knowing and loving yourself. As you pursue God, you are also learning to pursue yourself. And this is what the path of spiritual growth looks like. 
you probably noticed in Jesus's line of questioning, there was this certain pattern. Um, do you love me? Then Peter responded, yes. Then Jesus gave a command. And then he asked, do you love me? And then Peter responds, yes. And then Jesus gives another command. And he asks a third time, do you love me? And then Jesus, or then Peter realizes what uh, Jesus was doing and reminding Peter of the mistake that he had made. And you see how this relationship works, okay? We need Jesus first, then obey, okay? Uh, this way of, this process that Jesus goes through, this pattern, okay? He asks Peter, do you love me? And then he gives him the command, okay? It's not the other way around. It's not that we obey God first and then God will love us, okay? It's God loves us, we love God, and then the obedience follows. The command comes after Peter's proclamation of love. And this reminder of who Peter is is what will drive him forward uh, for his entire life even to the point of death when, you know, it, there's this brief mention of how Peter would be executed. He would be executed on the cross, similarly to how Jesus was, but Peter didn't want to um, mimic Jesus exactly. And so they, he asked them to hang the cross upside down, which actually caused him to die much faster. Um, but it was, as you can imagine, it's still very, very painful. <laughs> And that leads us to the last perspective on failure. Uh, failure reminds us to stay close to God's love. Failure reminds us to stay close to God's love. Every time we experience a failure, it is a reminder for us to pursue God. Okay, this is exactly what repentance is. All right, repentance in uh, the original word, repent, means to turn and go the opposite direction, okay? If someone were walking down the road, right, and they were lost, okay, this is in the first century. Uh, if someone were walking down the road and they were lost and they come across somebody and they say, hey, which way is uh, Bethlehem? And they would tell them, that person, oh, you're going the wrong way. You need to repent and go the other direction, okay? That's what repent uh, means. And repentance is a practice that we're supposed to do very often. Every time we experience a failure, every time, we stray away from God every time we make uh, a mistake in our lives. We are to repent and turn towards God. Failures are to remind us to stay close to God and to return to God's love time and time again. And God actually wants us to express our failures to him. God actually desires for us to confess and express our failures to him. There is nothing too big in your life that God cannot handle. And there is nothing too small in your life where God doesn't care. Okay? There is nothing too big in your life that God cannot handle. And there is nothing too small in your life where God does not care. The only thing that God cannot force upon you is for you to turn to him because God is love because God is love 
he is never going to force people to do his will. Okay, God is never going to force himself like uh, upon you and force you to do his will. Because God is love, he allows you to have freedom and have the, the choice to reject him. You have the choice to not turn to God. And because God is love, he's going to give you that freedom. There is this mention of um, Judas Iscariot, okay, at the end of today's passage. Um, let me pull it up real quick. In verse 20, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. That's actually um, John, the one who's uh, writing this. Oh, no, sorry. This was uh, Judas Iscariot, okay? This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? This is wild, okay? Um, because Judas Iscariot was still hanging out after Jesus resurrected, right? But here's the thing. Judas never actually repented. Okay, Judas never actually repented. There's no uh, documentation, no, no recording of Judas ever repenting or, or feeling bad or apologizing for what he did. Okay? Uh, and then Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Um, this is the disciple who testifies these, and then um, verses 24 and 25, John, Apostle John is talking about himself, okay? Um, so in, in uh, the first century, uh, when a rabbi has a relationship with a disciple, it is a very sacred relationship, okay? So this invitation that Jesus gave to these 12 disciples was a very sacred invitation, and so obviously when Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus for like 30 pieces of silver, uh, that was horrible, right? And everyone knows that, right? But not a lot of people realize what Peter did to Jesus, deny him three times, okay? Act like he doesn't know him. That's just as bad. That's just as bad as what Judas, dis, uh, Judas did. But the only difference is Peter returned to Jesus and was repentant. That's the only difference. Peter could have ended up just uh, like Judas was, okay? Uh, rejected and um, uh, studies say that like Judas eventually committed suicide. But the only difference is Peter returned to God's love. Peter returned to Jesus and he repented. He admitted his failures, okay? He admitted that uh, he uh, made mistakes, okay? He repented. That's the only difference between Peter and Judas Iscariot. There is nothing too big in your life that God can't handle, and there is nothing too small in your life where God doesn't care. Um, here are some other wonderful quotes on failure that I found uh, online. 
Um, one is from Coco Chanel. The first one's from Coco Chanel. <laughs> uh, success is most achieved by those who don't know that failure is inevitable. Okay. She's saying failure is inevitable, but um, uh, the fear of failure doesn't prevent you from pursuing what you want to pursue. Uh, Winston Churchill said this, success is the ability to go from one failure to another without the loss of enthusiasm. Paolo Coelho, uh, the author of Alchemist, said this, uh, there is only one thing that makes a dream impossible to achieve, the fear of failure. Not failure, it's the fear of failure. Uh, J.M. Barry, who is famous, most famous for uh, writing the book Peter Pan, he said, we are all failures, at least the best of us are. C.S. Lewis, uh, the very prolific author, uh, said, failures are finger posts on the road to achievement. Uh, Michael Jordan, arguably the best basketball player of all time, he said, I, cannot I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something, but I can't accept not trying. And last but not least, Paramahansa Yogananda, who is famous for bringing yoga to uh, the West, to America. And he also, interestingly, not a lot of people know this about Yogananda, he wrote a commentary on the Gospels of Jesus Christ. He said, the season of failure is the best time for sowing seeds of success. I've struggled with anxiety my entire life. Um, and when I think about what makes me anxious, it's often one of two things. It's either a fear of conflict, because there was a lot of conflict in my home growing up, or fear of failure. Okay, if I was failing on something, I'd, I'd feel great shame. And so uh, I'd, I'd experience so much anxiety about that. If I could go back and tell my five-year-old self not to be afraid of failure, that failure is a necessary part of spiritual growth and it's necessary for success, I would have avoided so much needless anxiety. So in closing, um, I'd like for us to just spend a couple minutes uh, writing this response down. If you could tell your five-year-old self anything, what would it be? Okay. And then if you could jot this question down in the chat box, Riley, and then for those watching online, um, I know you don't have your, the bulletin with you. Just write in a journal or a piece of paper. Uh, if you could tell your five-year-old self anything, what would it be? All right, let's pray. Lord, this message that you that we are writing to our five-year-old selves, it's the same message that you are telling us today. Help us to be free of the fear of failure. Help us to look at failure as opportunities for us to simply grow in our walk with you. And may it constantly remind us to return to your love, for there is nothing too big that you cannot handle and there is nothing too small where you can't where you do not care we pray all this in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen have a blessed week